I'm excited to continue in a series today that I hope will challenge your heart, and it's about God's stories and how God intersects and works in people's lives. I'm also grateful to have Brian here today. Brian also is one of our most faithful online attenders, by the way, so he's one of us guys, so it's really cool he gets to be here with us. God is so good, and he has blessed us. I wonder how you're feeling about the new year. I wonder how things are falling in place in your heart. The question we're going to try to answer in this series is, what happens when God intersects our lives or God interrupts our lives? That's the question. That's the question we're going to try to answer by looking at the Scripture and studying some stories. See, of all the goals that you're trying to set, no doubt, for 2022, making sure that God's hand is on you is the most important one. That's the one that's most important to me because, to me, making resolutions or making plans should begin with what I'm calling soul work. Any plans you have, any thoughts you may have about the future should begin from right here. What is God doing? What does God want to do? And my prayer in this series is that by seeing how God moved in the lives of some of these Bible folks, you'll become encouraged And you'll also learn some deep spiritual lessons for you that are very practical, I believe. Because here's an important truth, and it's there in your notes if you want to write it down, but a healthy soul decides the success of everything else in your life. It's true. If your heart is in the right place with God, if you're in a relationship with God, if your soul is in that space with God, everything else around you can fall into place. But if that part of you is, is missing, if, if that soul work with God is not done, nothing else will really matter. You may find some success. You might, you might get some good grades in school. You, you might have success uh, financially. But the deepest part of you will not be successful. And if that part of you is not successful, nothing else really matters. And that's what this series is about. How did God speak to these folks in the Bible? And how is He speaking to us so that we come to know that it's the soul that matters the most? And you've heard it, some of you, all your life. You've heard the preachers say it. You've heard Reader's Digest articles share it with you. You've heard your mom and dad say it and your grandparents. But what do you think about that? If your soul is in the right place, the rest of you can be successful. The Bible is so critical. We love it. We love it in harmony. And so we want to study the Bible and, and, and know it. And so if you've been making some resolutions, that means you've been making some decisions. And decisions are a huge first step. And while you're making those decisions, you're probably going to find yourself having some questions. And so questions are what we're going to talk to as we look in Judges chapter 6 this morning. And we're going to do two weeks on this character But I think we're going to start just by looking at the questions he had in his heart. Judges chapter 6. I just want to read the word of the Lord. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither a sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. 
They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replies, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that, is really, that it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring you my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Okay, it's a great story. It's a great story. And we need some context. The Bible's pretty clear about helping us with the context, but the situation is this. For a number of years now, Israel had fallen into sin. And because sin always leads to destruction, right? They were in destruction. And the Midianites and all these other raiders and moragers that were around the Israelites and all these tribes came and raided their territory and was killing them. And they were leaving them with absolutely nothing. It was horrendous. They plundered the crops and the belongings of the Israelites. And by the time Gideon comes along, it's been seven years. Now, that's a period of time in history of Israel that's very unique. It, it's that time right after they've inherited a promised land and, and Moses and Joshua are gone and they don't have kings yet. And they have this period of time that, that we call the judges. The judges led them. Okay, and it's, a, it's a funny word. They weren't judges like we think of people who make law decisions. They were just rulers and leaders and guides. Sometimes they're, they're referred to in literature as like tribal chiefs. Because this is still a, a very sort of almost a barbaric world that they're living in. It, it's very plain and simple and humble. But there's these leaders that God would raise up. And they led their clans, and some of them would be elevated to lead all of Israel. And these guys were also prophets. And they taught about God. And a critical part of what they were called to do, first of all, was to protect Israel from all those bad folks on the outside. But more importantly, to keep them true to God, to help them focus on their soul work. It was a slippery time, however. 
Because every time a judge died, Israel went astray. They would go back to their sinful practices. It's so easy to worship the idols of those invaders. And it was a constant cycle of sin and deliverance. Israel would rebel and God would discipline them or allow sin to run its course. And then God would deliver them as they repent and it would just repeat itself over and over. Kind of sounds like the human life sometimes, doesn't it? Over and over. There were 12 of these judges in all, about 300 years until Israel got a king. And every judge brought something differently. Now, just prior to the seven-year period of terrorism, there had been 40 years of peace under a judge named Deborah. Yes, Deborah was a girl. God knew he made a mistake when he didn't. No, that's all right. I wasn't going to say that. But Deborah led them. A woman led them 40 years, and they had peace. But now it had gotten so bad, Deborah was gone, and the Hebrew people found themselves hiding in hideouts and caves and crevices. It's, it's an awful time in their history. They're just fearful and anxious. And these, these Midianite people, as they tormented, basically terrorized everything they could about them. They just showed up. And so in the midst of this terrorism, the people of Israel cry out to God for help. That's what happens. And when they ask God for help, God went to a guy named Gideon. I think that's so interesting. Now, I've made this point in the past several weeks. I want to make it again because I think it's so important. Pain is a big reason people become willing to hear from God. When our lives are in pain, we have a tendency to really care about what God thinks. It's sad, but it's true. Pain drives us to crave something from God that we know we need. When humans are comfortable, however, they tend to reach over for God a little bit less. That's just being human. And that's what we want to work on today. And the minute things turn south, however, we become more spiritual. So there's that story. Why is that story so important to us? Why would it be important to us? Well, there's a lot of wonderful juice there for us to learn. And the, the big thing to learn is it is an example of how God intersects with his wonderful creation. So here's what I'm calling an intersection for the purpose of this series. A God intersection is when God creates a circumstance, a situation, in order to help people find him and stay close to him. That's what God wants. He wants two things. He wants you to find him, and then he wants you to stay close. He wants you to find him so that you can have salvation, plain and simple. And I'm telling you, so many of the things that have happened in your life were designed just for that purpose. So many of the things that you thought were random or just circumstance, I believe, were God moving around you in order to bring you, first of all, to salvation. You're in this church today in part because God wants you to have salvation. He wants you to know him. And then God is going to do things in your life to cause you maybe to feel some pressure in life or have to make some decisions in life so that you will draw close to him. So every bad thing that happens is not necessarily all that bad in the end, especially if it keeps you on your knees. There's a friend of mine who was very wealthy, a very wonderful fellow, and his company started suffering financially. It was like nothing he'd ever seen, and it was like the money was just falling apart. He said, Rob, it's like there's holes in the buckets of money that we have, and they're just, they're just draining out. Now, it's a good guy already, but I'm telling you, 
that situation right there put him on his knees. He said, like never before in life, he actually literally found himself in his beautiful big home, going into his closet and praying and pleading with God. Closets are cool places to pray for some reason. They're just private and alone, and you go in there and you find God. I'm not saying that's a bad thing about him at all. I'm just saying, even in the midst of all his success, God had more to teach him. And it drove him. The pain drove him to his knees. Okay? So God is always working. And, of course, he wants to draw you so close and to live in a close relationship. And that's what produces the God story. And it creates a story that moves us in, in, in fresh directions. And like I said, they're happening all the time. And I'm just praying that in 2022, you start taking advantages of them. Because I want you to see something that's very important to me. God prefers that we draw close to him through partnership, not pain. Okay? God will use anything he's got to draw you close. But God prefers that you stay so close to him that he doesn't have to allow pain in your life in order to teach you something. Because I'm telling you what, any chance Satan can get to create pain in your life, he will do that. Any chance that there can be for some sort of altercation with someone else or, or some disagreement or, or some unloving thing to happen, Satan's going to do his job. And the, and the people that don't follow God are going to be influenced by Satan. And it's going to leave you in the middle of that. And so you need your partnership with God. You need to be close to God so that as you walk through these circumstances of life, you stay close to him. And the situation draws you closer, of course, but it's not the pain so much as it is the opportunity to shine for God. That's what I want to be, is, is a light that shines around me in a dark world. So how does God do all that? How does God sweep in and intersect with our lives? Well, one way he does it is to raise up leaders. We see that over and over in the Bible. Teachers, prophets, judges, pastors. People who help people find God and stay close to Him. That's a divine act of love for God to place in your life. Teachers, leaders, guides, pastors. So every time you see a pastor at work or a Bible teacher or someone leaning in your direction to help you, that's God's loving way of helping you to help all of us find Him and stay close to Him. You may not know it, but I am a gift from God for you. God has placed me in your life to encourage you, to help you find God and draw close to Him. Because that's how God works. When, when there's a challenge in the world, God turns to His people. He goes to people. Read the scripture, you'll see it. It's a beautiful thing. So pray for your leaders. It, it's, it's God's way of keeping you safe. That's why I have a calling, this wonderful pastoral calling. It's it's not just so that I can do this because it's fun. I do this because this is God's purpose for us. And even if you're not going to be some kind of leader, Gideon's story is going to show us how God moves in everyone's life. He sets up a circumstance, and then we get to respond. And again, it's happening all the time. That's what I pray you can become sensitive to. And so God chose this guy, Gideon, in this situation of all the people, of all the circumstances, of all the torment, in the midst of all of that, God landed on a guy named Gideon. Now, why does God call one person and then another? And I'm going to tell you the best answer I got. I don't know. I don't know why God would speak to you and thump your heart to go do this one thing when he, and somebody else to go and do that. I don't know. That's just God's way. God does, however, come into our lives 
and speak to us and use us. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Gideon's a young guy at this time. And honestly, Gideon has probably no intent to be a spiritual guy at all. I think he's a good man. He's, he's, he's just trying to gather food and hide from the Midianites. He's the leader of the weakest clan, the smallest clan. He's the youngest in their family. He's not mighty. He's not someone everyone would imagine becoming a military hero. You know, David, if you study him in the Bible, he had some features about him that everybody said, oh, that guy's going to do great things. That wasn't the case with Gideon. He was going to become famous, perhaps the most famous judge in the history of Israel. But at this point, he's just a guy threshing wheat, and he's doing it in a secret place. And the story of his interaction with God has a rough start. God sends an angel. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree and started speaking to Gideon as Gideon is doing some farm work. Except he's not doing it where you normally do it. They were, he was doing what we call threshing wheat. And that was just basically beating out of the, the stalks of wheat, the good part of the wheat. And they normally would do that outside on a rocky surface or a, or a surface that had gotten really hard. But he's down inside of a wine press. And a wine press was down on the ground, and you would put the grapes in there, and you would smash them with your feet, and it would drip down into another basin, and from that they'd make their wine. He's down there hiding out, trying to get some wheat so that his family can eat. It's crazy. He's hiding. And the angel comes and says, Hi, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. He doesn't look like a mighty warrior. He doesn't feel like a mighty warrior. And you might say the angel is kind of flattering him or, or whatever. I don't think that's the case. I think that's just God's way of saying, it doesn't matter what your circumstance is, I see your future. I see you as, as I want you to be. And in this case, he saw him as a warrior. And I'm not making fun of that, but there's certainly that juxtaposition there where he finds himself hiding and just trying to survive. And God walks up and says, hey, warrior. And so that lets me know this. God's intersection with us as he moves in our lives are really about God's vision, about how God sees us. If God thumps your heart to do something, you may say, I've never, ever had an inclination to do that. I've never thought about leading a Bible study with my friends. I've never, ever thought about serving in the church and doing a particular thing. Never thought about doing that. But there's something in my heart that's speaking to me. I don't see myself that way. And God might be walking up to you if it were a case like Gideon today and saying, hello, mighty Bible teacher. And you might say, I don't even know where my Bible is. I don't even know what I would talk about. I have no idea how God would use me. What are you talking about, God? And he's not ignoring your situation. He's not ignoring that, that he knows that Gideon is in a lot of fear. He doesn't ignore your sin. He, doesn't, he sees everything about you, but I think God sees us mostly just through his heart. And so it's a rough start in the conversation, and Gideon replies, Pardon me, Lord. But he questions God. You know, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? God, if you're here, why are things bad you ever felt that? Gideon was known to be a very ordinary guy, chosen by God to do something great, and he responds in a very ordinary way. He's doubtful, almost cynical. He speaks like someone who's experienced a lot of pain and disappointment. He hasn't seen a lot of incredible stuff. And like the rest of Israel, he's living in poverty. He's buffeted by these bullets, these bullies, and he's forced to hide in order to live. 
That doesn't seem like great preparation to be a warrior. Nevertheless, God chooses him to lead the Israelites. It's a calling. But it takes a while for that calling to sink in. And I just believe God's going to speak to you about things this year. I, I just, I'm, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm not one of those guys. But I'm telling you, you need to be listening. You need to be hearing what God might be saying about you. And you may say, I am nowhere close to being someone who should be doing that. You just don't know. And Gideon responds with doubt. He says, how can I save Israel? How can I be a mighty warrior? Well, here's a point that I want to say. It's just very simple. When God intersects in our lives, our gut response may be to question. Maybe God is calling you to a new job or a new situation or he's making a promise in your life. You name it. Our gut reaction is oftentimes based upon this limited human perspective we had. You ever heard someone say when they were given good news, they'll say, I, even, I don't believe it. How could it be? These are times when our, our weaknesses sort of come to the top. And it's in those raw moments when everything comes into focus. Insecurities that are deeply seated in our lives. Maybe nobody ever told you you were worth something. Maybe nobody ever said you could be a mighty warrior. Maybe you were the one that got picked on all the time. But God speaks to you and says, I want you to be a warrior. We see a different perspective. And maybe Gideon knows deep down inside he's a coward. I don't know. Maybe he is. I have no idea. And some pre preachers criticize Gideon at this point. Not me. I relate to him. If all that was going on, I'm hiding out. I'm way, I would dig the wine cellar down another 10 or 15 feet and get low to the ground. Hide out. He's not the first guy to feel that, though. But that's the guy that God went to. He's fearful, depressed, and cynical. And, and so guys, if you have questions about God, you're not the first. If you have questions about whether or not he's real, you're not the first person. If you have questions about what God is doing, the plan that you think he's made for your life, you're not the first one to have questions, and there's hope for you. David, the guy in the Bible we turn to so much, he had a range of emotions as he went through his God story. And in Psalm 13, David wrote, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, Lord, are you going to let me live in caves and be hiding? How long is it going to be before the promises that I think that you gave me are going to come to pass? How long, Lord? I promise you that's not how God saw David. God saw David, did not see David as abandoned. He does not see Gideon as weak. He's seeing them as loved and cherished. That's how God sees you. He loves you. He cherishes you. And when God starts to move in our lives, we have doubts because we feel alone. We feel like it's going to be on our backs. But we're not, and we have to be lifted up by him in order to understand something new. But here's something I want you to understand. Our securities do not push God away. When you are insecure, when you have doubts, they don't push God away. Some people make you think the opposite, but that's not true. God always meets you right where you are. And there's a hook to it. God doesn't want to leave you there, but he will meet you there. He knows where you are. Matthew chapter 11, he says this. Jesus said this. In verses 20 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Take then that scripture. It's just so beautiful. Take in the words carefully. He talks about us, you, being weary and burdened, and perhaps name another emotion, frightened or abandoned. These are not the the feelings of mighty warriors or superheroes. Not someone who is strong and self-confidence. Often we wonder if God even knows we exist. But God knows we can be weak. That's why Jesus said this. He knows that we can be burdened even. A burden is a weight. You ever feel that in your life? Like a weight is just sitting on the chest of your life. It's heavy. And the truth is, life involves work, and it can be hard. And there are challenges to life that most of us honestly struggle to meet. There's so many of them. We have to deal with work. We have to deal with relationships. We have to deal with sickness. We deal with loss. It can be hard to live. So God says, let me help you do it. I know you're tired. I know you're afraid. I know you're hiding. Take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke was a weird thing that, that uh, back in those days, usually a, a wooden cross piece that was strapped around the neck, most of the time of a couple of oxen, for example, and attached to it would be the reins, and the yoke allowed another ox to share the burden. That's the principal reason, I think, for the image. The yoke also allowed the farmer to steer and control the ox, so there's another image there. But at first, it might not sound like a good thing, because Most of us would hope that Jesus would just take the work away from us. Make it easy. Use somebody else. Just fix it, God. Just blow your breath upon my life and make it all good. But Jesus says, I want to come and I want to get inside that yoke with you. Take the yoke upon me and let me walk with you. Let me share the burden and it will become easy. That's a wow. Yoke up yourself with me and I'll walk along beside you in life. So many of us during this holiday season suffered. And during the past year and a half, things have changed. And so many things are different. And and, and people's emotions are just at an all-time anxious place. And there's depression and sadness. and, And I know that if you don't feel like you've got anything to pray for, just call me. I'll share with you what I know about people. And I'm telling you, there's so many things to pray for because life can be hard. But in the midst of this, Jesus says, let me walk with you. And when I walk with you, it gets easier. So God meets us where we are so that he can do what we cannot do, and that is the spiritual, amazing empowerment to serve him and live this life, but he doesn't want to leave us there. So usually, before God can use us, he's going to have to do a work in us first. I think that's part of this mighty man of valor, as as one scripture says. That's the goal for Gideon, you mighty warrior. One of the rich things about God's intersections is that it means that God is going to work in our hearts first. I I often experience this in my work as as a pastor. Often I sense God's leadership to move in a direction or or God wants to say something to you. And I'm telling you, God usually has to work in me first. I never preach a sermon, never, I, I promise you, that I haven't first just been penetrated by and prayed about 
and sometimes wept about and even see my own weaknesses in and ask God to help me as I see it. And honestly, it encourages me as I study the Scripture and as I prepare messages for you, I realize they're also for me. And God often asks me, Rob, do you trust me enough to do what no one can see? When I'm dreaming about what God is going to do for harmony, when I'm asking God for an addition to this building... You know, my first thought is, where are we going to get the money? I'm going to have to save it all up. I've got to figure out how to fundraise and do all these things. And God says, chill. Let me guide you. Let me put, let me get yoked in with you. And let's go together on this. So God sometimes wants to do a work in us first before he's going to use it. Sometimes God wants to do a work in us before he works on our spouses. Maybe if you were praying for your spouse that they would change, God is going to work in you first. Or maybe... God's going to work in you before you get a better job or a better situation or an easier situation. You may pray for everybody around you to change. And God says, let me work on you first. And I think that's what's going on in this angelic God opportunity with this wonderful guy named Gideon that God says, we've got some talking to do and I need to address some things with you to help you because I've got a work for you to do. But there's always questions in our lives, guys. I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, and I felt a calling on my life since I was 11. And I promise you, there are some questions I don't have anymore, but there's always new ones. Always new questions coming up. And God wants to help with those. Here's some of those questions that Gideon had, and I know you have them too. Here's one. Do you really care about me, God? Are you really with me? Pardon me, Lord. If you're with us, why has all this happened in the first place? Do you really care about me, God? Sometimes it's hard to feel cared for by God because maybe you just don't feel cared for by others. And so God says, I've got to teach you about how much I love you first. Or two, do you know what you're doing, God? As the Lord is calling him, he goes with this wonderful question. He responds, how can I save Israel? How am I going to do that? Often I fall on my face before God and I go, how in the world are you going to do it, God? How are you going to save those souls? How are you going to do those things? And when I'm doing that, I'm basically asking God if he knows what he's doing. And God, are you going to take care of me? Are you going to be there? Are you going to take care of me? And the Lord answers him, I will be with you. You're going to strike down the Midianites, leaving none of them alive. That's where he got to at the end of this conversation. Are you going to take care of me, God? And he says, I am going to be with you. I am going to walk with you. But you are still going to have to go to battle. So that's what I want to encourage you with as 2022 starts to unfold before our eyes. It's going to be an amazing year. But I'm going to promise you a couple of things. One, God is not going to remove all the obstacles. He's not going to make everything better You're going to face challenges. You're still going to be human. You're still going to feel weak. But God is willing to do a work in your heart that in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the weaknesses, you will grow a strength in you that is supernatural that allows you to do great things for him. God wants us to have courage. God wants us to feel strong. But but emphatically, God wants us to trust him in the battle in the first place. So if God's picking you to do something, to lead, to get a new job, to love someone, to be a mom, to be a dad, all those things that can frighten us half to death. 
God wants you to understand, I picked you for a reason, and I am going to help you win the battle. So here's the deal. People that end up doing great things for God usually don't start out great. They don't. Great takes time. And great takes time with God. And I'll tell you what I want for you in 2022. I want to come together with you and have great worship times and great prayer times. But you know what else I hope for? I hope you're going home and getting in closets and praying your hearts out. That's what I pray we are. These prayers we pray in church are amazing, but they're not all you need. You need tough conversations with God in 2022. Tough ones. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake as we serve our community as a church, as you serve Him as a business person, a wife, a husband, a son, a daughter, just as a person. Great takes time. It takes time with God. So if we're going to be a praying church in 2022, I pray that we are a church that prays when we're alone. That's a great church. Where you feel called and compelled because God has put you in a situation that's so amazing. As an 18-year-old guy, when God gave me a Bible study to lead, I've shared this with you many times, this overwhelming calling. I joined a crusade team, and I prayed for God to use me to help lead one person to Christ. Scared out of my mind. I walked down this huge bodybuilder of a guy. He loomed over me. If you think I'm handsome now and buff, you should have seen me when I was 18. It was 135 pounds. Good looking, but 135 pounds. And this muscular dude is standing there and there's tears in his eyes. And I quiver and I ask him if he would like to pray with me. I lay my hand on him and we pray a sinner's prayer. He accepts Christ as a Savior. First person I baptized. I wasn't even licensed to baptize people. I baptized I said, by the way, I'm starting a church. How come? Well, that church was in my living room. It was a Bible study, and it was just amazing what God did. One step at a time, I knew nothing of what I was doing. I was scared all the time, all the time. I'm still scared. I just have more experience knowing that God will take me through. So it doesn't matter your age today, guys. It doesn't matter your story. God is planning things for you. And I want to leave you today with this image of Christ walking right along beside you. He is yoked into your situation. He was there with me as that church began. And I started singing songs with my guitar, and it was worse then than it is now, trust me. I rented a dance studio for $50 a month. It was amazing, 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 amazing. What does God want to do with you? And I would get by my bedside and just pray and pray and pray because it was so obvious I was in way over my head. But God did a great work. A great work. And I'm so grateful that He let me be a part of that. And I'm so grateful that He's letting me be a part of this great work that's happening right now. So I pray you are compelled. I pray you are compelled to understand that 
God is going to walk you through some situations. But just like Gideon, you're probably going to have to get on your knees a little bit. I'm confident he's working on a God story just for you. I'm so excited. What's it going to be? What are you and God going to accomplish this year? I just can't imagine. If you're a high school student, maybe it's going to be a Bible study with some other students. Or, or maybe it's going to be some service projects. Or if you're an older person that doesn't get out much, maybe you're just going to be a prayer warrior. Or you're going to start a Bible study too. You never know. Or if you're a young couple, we're praying for couples to rise up in this church who will have some meetings in their home and have small group meetings and Bible studies. Who knows what God wants to do? But get through your questions and then get on your knees. Would you bow with me? I thank you so much, God, for that moment way back then when you were calling me. I thank you for it, God. It was amazing. It was a God story for me, and the story continues. God, I don't know all that you're going to do with my church this year, but I know it's going to be great. And God, we want to start with the basics. We want to start with prayer and your word. Call us to your word. Call us to our closets. Get us on our knees, God, and help us. Help us, I pray. Help us, God, not to be students who walk through schools and don't care about anybody. Help us to be people who care. Help us to be people who go to places of work and recognize there are lost people all around us. Help us, God, as a church, not to drive by these neighborhoods and not care. Help us to care deeply. And God,